Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. Start time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thanks for uh, time to meet, place to meet. We thank you, God, for your presence here. We pray that you would empower us, empower this time through us. I pray that this would be good revelation tonight. I ask that you'd speak points of need in our lives. I ask you that we would uh, be matured during this time, and we would accept that. We'd accept correction. We'd accept encouragement. We would accept, God, confirmation, and we'd accept change tonight. God, we thank you that you're here. We pray that you would affect us and that we would leave here different than we are right now. Uh, We have an expectation of meeting with the God of the universe, and we pray, God, that things would be different because we've met with you. Thanks. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your power. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. That was heartfelt, by the way. I, 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 that was right from the subcockles of my heart, Jeannie. Yeah. Right in the, the not the cockles, the subcockles of my heart. Yeah. Deeper yet. Reba, right? You can feel that, right? Yeah. Uh, thank you. Back me up. Yeah. Come on now. All right. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Numbers. Numbers. Book of Numbers, chapter 13. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. Also take this uh, time as an opportunity to remind you that we do have an interactive feature with Bible study. If you are listening from AFAR and would like to participate in what we're doing, you may go to a website at www.speakpipe.com dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word, smush it all together, and there's a button there to toggle, you can leave us a message, it could be a question, comment, uh, it could just be hello, let us know where you're from, and let us know where you're listening, we'd love to hear from you, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you soon, so take advantage of that. Numbers chapter 13, a volunteer to read verse 16. All right, thanks for reading that. And uh, I know there's more to that that part of Scripture, and you can feel free to read through that while I'm talking tonight uh, to see what was going on there. But basically, you know the story that the children of Israel, they pulled up to the Promised Land, and after they pulled up to the Promised Land, they chose some spies to go out and to see what the land was like. And so these guys went on over, and they spied out the land, and that was their job. And so it's kind of a melancholy part of their history because they had come across the wilderness, they had arrived, and they sent the spies to check out the land. But what happened was is that the spies came back, and 10 out of 12 of the spies had a negative report. Not negative in the sense that the land was bad. It was good. In fact, everybody, they brought back big old grapes, like giant-sized grapes the size of grapefruits, you know, big ones, and, uh, or whatever they were, and a land flowing with milk and honey. It, the descriptors that they used, I mean, it was beautiful, beautiful farmlands, 
just the, the they had all positive things to say about it of the produce and of everything else that's going on there except one thing and that is that the people were like giants and they were huge and they were mean looking and uh, that they surely would not be able to overcome the people there and so 10 out of 12 of them came back with a negative report in the sense that they said that we can't do this they just said we can't do it two of them however came back with a positive report. And that was Joshua and Caleb were the two that came back with a positive report saying, let's go up immediately, we can take the land. That was their report. I mean, everybody saw the good stuff, but Joshua and Caleb had the faith and they they knew that they'd be able to take the land. It was the other ten that said, we can't do it, and that's what swayed the people. And the people began to grumble, and they began to complain, and they reacted to everything in fear. And so if you know the rest of the story, what happened was is that the, the people of God were turned back from the edge of the promised land. And they were sent back from the border to wander in the wilderness. And this is the rest of their history, wandering. They're waiting for everybody in the generation that left Egypt to die. And that's why they were out in the wilderness as long as they were. They were wandering around waiting for people to die except Joshua and Caleb. And so people died off, and after 40 years, everybody, that generation had died off, a new generation had come up, and they went back to the border, and that's when they entered the Promised Land. So interestingly, you know, because, I mean, you look at a map, and we've talked about this before, you look at a map of the wanderings of Israel, through the wilderness, and it's just crazy looking. Because they were just going all over the place and, and back and forth and here and there. And they, you know, and a trip that shouldn't have taken maybe two weeks takes 40 years. That's a long time. That's 26 times 40 too long. All right? That's a long time. But they had to wait for people to die. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Just let that sink in. Their wanderings had a purpose, waiting for people to die. That was the purpose. God ordained, God instructed, God led, waiting for people to die. And that was it. So most of that wandering, just waiting for people to die. So Joshua, uh, his same name is Jesus. Those are just two different languages. I mean, if you know, like Jesus is the same. What's Jesus in Spanish? Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, you get different names in different languages, right? Like, what's uh, uh, what's George in Spanish? Yeah, okay. So I want you to think of it this way that Jesus and Joshua are the same names. They are the same name. Exactly the same name. Just two different languages. And so, uh, there, there's some parallels. Joshua is not an uncommon name. Jesus was not an uncommon name either. But there are some parallels. Somebody look at Hebrews 4, eight. Got a few verses we're going to look at tonight.
For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Okay, so what that verse is saying, if you look at the whole context of it, it's talking about Joshua as being the savior of God's people from the powers of Canaan. In other words, he's the, the leader. He's the, the one that led them into the promised land of victory. And there was a lot that had to be done when they arrived. There's a lot to be done before they arrived. There's a lot to be done as they crossed the Jordan. There's a miraculous rolling back of water for them to even cross the Jordan. And Joshua leading them miraculously around the city of Jericho and, and all of those stories of that and, and, and how they were led right through the nation and they were destroying their enemies. And so Joshua had a role to play in the history of God's people in that not only was he the leader, but he was also the one that was saving or bringing salvation to the people, bringing them into the place of God's promise. And so he had a role to play in that. Think about Jesus. Jesus is the Savior from what? What does Jesus do? What does he save us from? We're not heading into Canaan, right? What are we heading into? Okay, so he saves us from the powers of hell and our own sin. Okay, you know that from Matthew 121 when they were told what to name him. Okay, what's Matthew 121? Anybody? Just real quick, Matthew 121. All right, so he'll save his people from their sin. So a Joshua came, and he saved the people from the Canaanites, he saved the people from the wilderness, he saved the people from the wandering, he saved the people from all of those things, brought them into a, a land where they could live, for the most part, at peace, once they had done their battling, and once they had secured their place, and, and all of that. And so powerful, brought them into this place of rest. Jesus but it wasn't a final rest, and that's why there was a need for Jesus. And Jesus came, and the Bible talks about him as Savior from powers of the enemy, powers of the devil, and saving us from our own sin. All right, now I want you to think about how we might ruin our lives by believing bad reports. Why did that generation have to die in the wilderness? Why? Because they believed a bad report. In other words, ten of those guys came back, and all they could see is defeat. All they could see was the physical size of the people, and probably some of that was exaggerated. All they could see is the size of the armies or the size of the people or the size of the cities or, or all of those things, and that's all that they could take in. And so they bring back a report, and the people just, instead of believing the two, because there were two positive reports that came back out of the 12, two of them were positive. So 18% or so other reports were positive, and then the rest were negative. And the people had a choice. They could believe the negative reports, or they were going to believe the positive reports. What is human nature? Believe the negative reports. Why is the news all negative? Why do you think? Why, why do you think the news comes out all negative? Why? That's what people want to hear. That's right. And, and they're, they're in the business of making money. Right. And so people, we have a tendency as human beings to gravitate toward the negative. 
We have a tendency as human beings to believe the negative reports. Okay, if somebody hears on the news, and this is coming up, the winter's coming up, right? Somebody hears on the news, there's a possibility of snow this weekend. And it could only be a 20% chance of snow. Why are they going to tell everybody at work? Snow's coming. They don't care it's 20. Go ahead. Right. 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 But that I mean that's the nature. We have a nature like that. Now, I want to point out that that is human nature. But I also want to point out in the same breath, we have a sinful nature. All right. And so I just want to point that out that you can't look at human nature and say, oh, well, then I'm normal. Well, you're normal to the sinful nature. You're normal to the cursed nature. You're normal to the nature that came after Adam and Eve sinned and were cursed by God and were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And so, yeah, that's the new norm. That wasn't the way you were created, though. That wasn't the way I was created. That wasn't the way that God intended for us to live at all. And so to just sit back and accept that and say, well, oh, I guess that's my nature then. Yeah, you're accepting. You're just basically saying... I don't care about how God intended for me to live. I don't care about how God created me to live. I'm just going to do this because it's the easiest thing and it's the path of least resistance for my heart, for my spirit, and for my brain. Because it is. It is the path of least resistance. So just believe the negative. Just believe the bad. And, and how far can you extend this? Pretty far and pretty deep. You can extend that deep into you too. Believe in the worst about yourself. Believe in the negative about yourself. Take and hold. I mean, somebody compliments you, gives you ten compliments and one correction. What are you going to remember? The one correction. Right. Right. And it goes deep into us. But you have to fight it. And that's the point I'm trying to make, is that we ruin ourselves by believing reports. Negative reports. We ruin ourselves. And that could be deep into us or extending as far out as you want to look. It could be a report about what's going on on the other side of the world. It could be a report about what's going on next door to us. It could be a report what's going on down the street. It could be a report from our neighbor or somebody in our family. It could be however you want it to be in our school, wherever it is. It could be any kind of report. But we ruin ourselves by believing the report. got to stop. you got to stop. Every negative report... Every negative report, we've got to stop believing every negative report. Just got to do it. Why? Because it's, 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 that's sin. That's the sinful nature. That, that is the base nature. That's not what you were created to be. That's not who you were created to be. None of us were created by God to just believe every negative thing out there or in here. That's not how God made us. We made ourselves that way. We forced that situation upon ourselves. And now we need to force it out. Nobody would say it's going to be easy. Nobody would say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll just uh, relax my way out of that. It doesn't work that way. All right? It just doesn't. You don't relax your way into shape, okay? You don't relax your way out of bad habits. You just don't. All right? That requires some effort. And it requires a sense of this needs to happen. And then putting yourself to it 
see it happen. Am I saying God doesn't help you? Sure he does. God doesn't give you strength? Yes, he does. God, God doesn't help you change your mind? Yeah, he needs to. And we need to ask for all those things, but that is, still doesn't mean we don't need to put our hand to it. Because we do. And, and so, so I want you to, to think in terms of who we're going to believe. You know, we're the exact opposite of what happened here. We're the people. And, and I bet you these people would have been the same way. If 10 of those guys came back with positive reports, let's say the 10 of them out of 12 of them came back with positive reports, two of them came back with negative reports. I'd put money on, and I know betting is not right, but I'm just saying this as an illustration. I would put money on that they would have believed the two guys and still would have grumbled and still would have ended up in the wilderness for four years, 38 years, whatever. That's what I think. I, because that's our nature. 20% chance, you know, or whatever, what, 16% chance, gonna happen. well, it's definitely going to happen then. Definitely. Definitely going to happen. Well... Well, we've got to fight that. We've got to fight that. Yeah, I, I have to fight that. I'm a, I'm a worst-case scenario planner. All right? And in some things, that's okay, but not in real life all the time. <laughs> this is not. But I, I'm, a, I'm a scenario planner, and so I, I see different scenarios. I see different things going on, and it happens in my brain all the time. i got to fight that. When that begins to turn to something in my life that's causing me to look for the worst in everything, it's not right. It's just not. Well, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna say the worst is gonna happen. That way, when it doesn't, I'll feel better about it. Wow, you're going through life in a really, really dark place if you do that. You are. You're trying to save yourself from getting hurt or disappointed by being disappointed all the time. Do you see the problem with that? I mean, seriously, you see the problem with that? You're in a dark place when you do stuff like that. You're in a bad place, in a dark place, when you're going through life and you're spending your time going through life and all you're doing is trying to avoid getting hurt. That's a dark place to live in. And so what's the alternative to living like that? Well, the alternative to living like that is, number one, fighting that tendency putting ourselves in a situation where we're just, we're not looking at the, you know, always the worst case scenario. But we're finding ourselves just kind of living life. What might happen? Well, that might happen. What might happen? Might not happen. I don't know. I'm not going to worry about it. I know, I know there's a 20% chance of snow this week. I'm not saying there is. I'm just saying, you know, you know, later on in the winter, a long time from now, we may say, there's a 20% chance of snow this weekend. Okay. I can live with that. I mean, there's an 80% chance. It's not going to snow. Not that I believe the weatherman anyway. And so whatever. I don't care. I'll live today. And I'll live tomorrow. And by the time Saturday comes, they will have changed their mind eight times. And people are roller coastering or whatever that was. And I'm just going to be the same because I don't listen to it. Because I don't care. Don't care. And now apply that to just about everything else. What about your gossip friends at work? Don't care. Let it go. Let it go. What about all those naysayers? Let it go. What about the news? And I hate the news. Hate it. Hate the news. You know, whatever. 
Yeah, well, yeah, and it's becoming worse. You know what did it for me, honestly? It wasn't the American news. It's when they caught the BBC making stuff up. That did it for me. Because when having been overseas and having you know, spent a lot of time overseas, I kind of counted on the BBC to at least tell me what was going on. They caught them lying, too. Hmm. Oh, well. They just did it for me. The rest of these jokers, like the guys here, I mean, I always figured they were lying. I think ever since Walter Cronkite went off the air, they've been lying. I don't know. That's what I mean. And I know some of you, some of you look at me like, who, who the heck is Walter Cronkite? Well, exactly. Okay. He's been rolling in his grave ever. I'm just saying, man. There's a guy you turned on, you listened to him, and you had half a, half a chance that the guy was telling you the truth, Okay. Or more than half a chance. I mean, it's just somebody, it's just a trustworthy person. The rest of these guys, come on. I know I sound like an old fuddy that he get off my lawn, but whatever. Get off my lawn. Okay. I said it. So putting ourselves in a situation where we're open. Putting ourselves in a situation where it's not a tragedy. Putting ourselves in a situation where, yeah, okay, we might get hurt, but why live in a dark place? Why not take a chance, live in the light? And if you get hurt, you get hurt. Who cares? It's not as bad as living in a dark place all the time. And just putting ourselves out there and living like that. And living in the light. And living in, in a place of hope. And living in a place of victory. Because there was something that Joshua and Caleb had that those other guys didn't have. And that is they had a revelation. They had a revelation of God. They had faith. And because they had a revelation of God and because they had faith, they could, they could pronounce victory. You know, you need a revelation of God and you need some faith to pronounce victory in your life. Just a little. I'm not even saying you need a lot. You just need a little. But you need that little bit and you need to hold on to that little bit and cultivate that little bit in order to pronounce victory. I mean, Joshua and Caleb, they weren't afraid to pronounce victory in the promised land. They weren't. They were not afraid. They had gone, they had seen the same things that the other ten guys had seen. They had been in some of the same places. They had seen some of the same giants. They had seen all the great produce that they had seen. I mean, they saw the same stuff, but they came back with an entirely different report. Because they came back with a revelation of God and faith. And that's what, then they pronounced victory. They could pronounce victory. You know, when some people pronounce victory, you believe them. You do? You really do? You just do. You know. You know they know. You might not know, but you know they know. And so you're going to believe them because they're just like, all right, there it is. They know. That's it. God calls us to be those people and, and to, to listen to people that know. Joshua and Caleb knew. If the, the, if the children of Israel listened to them and said, I'm going to believe these guys. They'd have walked across and they'd done their thing. They wouldn't have wandered in the wilderness till they died. Because I'll tell you something, you want to live like that, go ahead. Wander around. Wander around. Where am I going? I don't know. You ever, again, look at the map. Every now and then they come across some people who didn't like them. Well, I better fight them. Okay, won that battle. To do what? Wander in the wilderness some more? Yep, let's keep going. Oh, well, going to fight them. All right, all we won. Good. 
What for what? What'd you win for? We'll keep wandering. Good. So we can die. Gonna wander till we die. What's the big victory in life? Gonna die. What's your plans? Gonna die. And you hear people talking like that too. You hear people talking like that. It's like, well, what's your what's the future? Death. Two certain things in life. What are they? Oh yeah. Does that not sound like the wilderness? I don't know. Go ahead. You know what I think he was doing? I think he was raising a generation that resented that to their core. That's what I think he was doing. I think he was raising up from kids to adults, a generation of people that would hate that their whole lives. So that they went, when they went into the promised land, they weren't going to go in like that. And so that's what I think he did. And he used the prior generation to prepare them and get them ready and to motivate them to get them going and, and to get them moving forward. That's what I believe. And so he let them die off one by one in the wilderness. And their kids just watched it happen. Because what was happening with those kids? They were just wandering in the wilderness. They don't want to be out there. Wouldn't they have rather been in a land flowing with milk and honey? Wouldn't they have rather been settled into their homes, building their homes, farming their land, and doing what they really wanted to do? I mean, wouldn't that have been better than wandering in the wilderness all that time? Sure it would have. They know the story. I mean, don't, don't think they didn't know what happened. They knew what happened. Everybody knew what happened. It wasn't just one day, oh, well, we're heading out. Thanks for coming to the border. We're going to head back out in the wilderness. We've got important things to do out there. Yeah. They also watched a generation crave for slavery again. Yep. So, yeah, all of it was messed up. Because the generation that came out of Egypt was messed in the head. They were messed in the head. They were grumblers. They were complainers. They were whiners. They were slaves. They, were, they had a slave mentality. That's what they had. And ultimately, their slave mentality cost them their lives, wandering in a wilderness. And so, I want to encourage you to check yourself. I want you to encourage you to check yourself tonight. What kind of a mentality do you have? Are you the perpetual victim? Do you always want something you don't have? You're always looking at other things and other people and things that they have. You're living in fear. You're a grumbler. You're a complainer. Nothing's ever good enough. I really want you to think about that. You don't need to answer those questions. But not, to, not out loud. But I want you to think about those things. Like, are you carrying that slave mentality with you? We all came out of some form of bondage. That's how we got into the kingdom. We were born into some form of bondage and we've been set free. Every single one of us. And we're going to carry that fear and we're going to carry that mentality with us or we're going to be made, as the Bible says, into new creatures, into new creations. 
old has passed away, behold, all things have become new. If we will participate in and allow that to happen, if we will apply some faith and revelation to that, we can get set free. Otherwise, we can wander in a wilderness until we die. You think that's what Jesus has for you? No. No, he doesn't. He did not die on the cross so that you can wander in the wilderness until you die. You have a choice. A choice. But we need to hate that. And I mean hate it. Whatever that old life is, whatever that place of bondage is, whatever that place of slavery that we came out of, we need to hate that with a passion and shed that mentality. It's time for the new. The old has passed away and the new has come. That's what God has for us. Interesting to me that Moses gave Joshua a new name. You see that there? He had an old name. And that old name, I mean, whatever, O'Shea. O'Shea meant, and it denotes, a desire of salvation. O'Shea does. And if we were to put that in a phrase, the phrase would be, please save me. Please save me. That's the phrase. Joshua the name denotes and includes a promise of salvation. In other words, he saves. There's two different things there. Do you hear them? Please save me. Or, he saves. Okay, those are two different things. And that was the change of name that Moses gave him. You see, Joshua had chosen to walk by faith rather than sight. We choose, if we're, if we're not on it, if we're not careful, if we're not living in a newness of life, we choose to walk by sight rather than faith. If you ever meet people that walk by faith, and, and I, I can say that there's times uh, that I, I can walk by faith, I know there are. You know, one of the first time we were, or I remember the first time, we went to Senegal, and they took us through this old, like, half-built church building, and it had a cow in it, and they weren't using it. It was in the middle of a field. It was just abandoned. There was no roof on it. The floor was all broken up. The walls were crumbling down. There was nothing, nothing, nothing. But as I stood there, I could just see it. I mean, I saw it. Like, I saw the whole church. I saw it done. I saw it, it finished with tile on the floor, and it was beautiful. And, and the windows and the, and the open holes on the side and, and the, the roof that was on it and, and everything about it was done. It was beautiful. But I could see it. And I, and I, and I said it, too. I said, this place is going to be done. They had waited, I mean, it had been over 10 years or more. No money had come in. And I said, you will have all the money you need and this place will be done in X amount of time. I just said it. 
There, I did it. I did it. Why? Because I could see it. And there are those times where you can walk by faith. And and as I as I learn to walk by that faith more, my life is a better place to be. I'm just telling you. That when I can lay aside my sight and take on God's vision, my life is a better place. I'm happier. And and I know over the years it's been stronger, it's been weaker or whatever, but I really believe God has a place for us like that. Joshua found the place. Caleb found the place. I mean, they're going through a land everybody else is looking at like, these people are going to kill us. Joshua and Caleb, let's go up immediately. Victory is ours. They could see it. They knew it. They knew it. And so Joshua, Moses, after he came back, changed his name. Now, what's it about the name? You know, in the Bible... Right? Name, God changes names in the Bible sometimes that people's names get changed. Give me a couple examples. Who, who somebody's name's got changed? Name got changed? Peter. What was his name for? Hmm? Simon? Yeah. And then he changed his name to Peter, Cephas, Rock. Rock, baby. Yeah, there was Saul. His name was changed to Paul. Anybody else you think of? Abram, Abram to Abraham. Sarai. Sarai to Sarah. Yeah. How about... Yeah. Who was Israel? Jacob. Right. What's significant about that? Change in them, right? The name change has to do with change in them. And so that's a powerful tool that the the Bible uses indicating that something has changed in the person. Not everybody gets a name change, but people do. And it's it's something that God uses in people's lives to to see them. I don't know if it's that they see themselves differently or others see them differently, whatever it is, but it indicates there's going to be some kind of a change. To whom? Oh, yeah. Every now and then there was some. There was like she said, "Don't call me this. Call me that." Yeah, I don't. I don't count that one. Yeah, right. Call me maybe. Call me maybe. No, definitely don't call me Shirley. Yeah, I don't count that one. <laughs> That's another one, see? Um, yeah. So we all have new names. We all have new names uh, uh, that, that God has given us. We just don't know what they are. Usually. We don't know what our new name is. Why do I say that? Look in Revelation 2 and verse 17. Revelation 2, 17. 
Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Okay. So, in other words, what he's saying is, Jesus is saying that we have a new name. It's written on a little white rock somewhere. And when we are victorious and we overcome, we'll not only get some hidden manna, but we'll get a little white rock and it'll have our new name on it. I find that kind of interesting that there's a promise of change in that, of divine change over each of our lives. That it's not, well, you might get a rock. You definitely get a rock. I like rocks. You get, you get a little white stone, and you definitely get a new name. And so what that tells me is there's definitely change that God brings into our lives over time. Yeah. Sure. Right. Right. I think that's very significant. I think it's important, actually. Because I think it's his work. I think it's his design. I think it's his creation. It's what he's making. Yeah. We're part of it, of course, because we're the one he's making. No need. <laughs> right. future, now, or then, or they'll ask you some eschatology question, specifically. Like, do you believe in the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennial, post-millennial, inter-millennial, 
uh, whatever, and they'll ask me questions, and, I, and I'll, my, my main answer to that is, does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Yeah, yeah. I remember watching um, probably 25, 30 years ago. I was watching a show, and it was a, an end time show. And the guy would get on there, and he would talk about how everything's being fulfilled in Israel today, and how Jesus is definitely going to come back. And they were they were talking about the the red heifer, and they were talking about the ashes, and they were talking about the reconsecration of the priesthood and talk about the rebuilding of the temple, and talking about the ushering in of of Jesus, and all this other stuff. That was 30 years ago, and it was like going to happen right then. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And I remember listening to it, and it, I just, I couldn't figure out why it mattered. Like, to what end is this bringing about? And then there was something about an eagle, and there was something about this other thing, and I don't even know. Like, I couldn't even follow half of it. And I'm not saying I'm ignorant of apocalyptic literature. I'm not. I, I, you know, I've done fairly extensive study on biblical apocalyptic literature. Comparing, contrasting, looking historically, spiritually, uh, different interpretations through the church age, all those things I've looked at. And I, it's not that I'm ignorant of it. I just can't figure out why it matters. And I'm sure somebody has an answer to that. And maybe somebody listening to the podcast right now says, well, it matters because, and they're screaming at me. I have no idea. But I, I'm not there. I'm not there. Be ready. Be ready, and, and Jesus said, you know, to the people, he's kind of giving them instruction, he said, occupy till I come, and that word occupy is the root word for occupation. In other words, work till I come. Yeah. Stay busy, stay working, keep doing what you're doing, do what needs to get done, and work till I come. In other words, it doesn't matter, right? we just got, we got a job to do, be ready and do what you need to do. So I'm just going to do it, and I'll keep doing it. And something will happen someday, and, and it could be that one way or the other, I'm going to pass from what I'm, I'm doing right now in the physical, and I'll be doing something in the spiritual. And it's going to be 10,000 years later before I know it, and I won't even know what's going on, probably, because I don't care. And I won't even, I, I'm not even sure I'm going to look back to find out about the red heifer, and I'm going to find out about the purification of the temple being rebuilt. I'm not sure I'm going to care about that. Maybe. With an infinite amount of time, maybe something will cross my mind again. I have no idea. But what I'm getting at is I, I don't know. I don't care. And so I want to encourage you to, to really major on things that are going to matter. And I, and I want to really encourage you to stop wandering in the wilderness waiting to die. Stop it. Stop it. we got way too much to live. There's way too much life to engage, way too much life to, to really uh, just grab hold of. To grab by, never mind, to grab and to live. 
caught that one. Okay, that's good. Because transitioning our walk from sight to faith is a better place. And allowing that transition to take place. It's taken me a long time to, to move in that direction more in my life. It wasn't something that happened overnight. It wasn't something that I woke up one morning and I'm like, oh, I walked by faith today. Well, you know, I've had better days than others, sure. But to really begin that transition to move into that has taken a while. But it's transitioning. And that's what matters. What matters is it's changing. What matters is it's growing. What matters is it's becoming what it's supposed to be, what we were created to live in. Instead of living in a curse. So Joshua, I mean, O'Shea, who nobody ever heard of, old O'Shea, he is a good guy. Nobody ever heard of O'Shea? Not really. Joshua lived most of his life as O'Shea, nobody ever heard of him. And he went over and he brought back the good report, nobody believed him. Then they messed it up, and then they got turned back from the promised land. He wandered in the wilderness all those years with the children of Israel, right? Yeah. Imagine if you were that guy. You're O'Shea, right? You went over, you came back. Let's immediately, let's go into the land, let's take the land. We've we got victory. Victory is ours. And, and the people grumbled and complained and refused to listen to you, and you ended up back in the wilderness for another 38 years or whatever it was. Seriously? Is that irritating? That's pretty irritating, right? I mean, would you would you be tempted? I mean, seriously, would you be tempted on the way out, heading back in the wilderness? Say, I told you. I told you we should have went in there. Told you. Fifteen years into it, still telling you we should have done it. Right? I mean, I don't know that he did that, but I would have wanted to do that. It's like so frustrating every year, every day, every week, every month, wandering around. Well, O'Shea got the name Joshua, and the name Joshua brought with it a promise. He saves. He saves. became a fulfillment of what God said he's going to do. And so Joshua did something pretty impossible, and that is he took over leadership from Moses. Think about that. Moses was... Like, like super prophet guy. I mean, he was. And, and the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the leadership. And he's with God face to face. And he's up on the mountain with God. And he brings back the commandments of God. All these things. I mean, you think about who Moses was. And this guy Joshua, O'Shea. Now Joshua does an almost impossible thing. Man, he takes over for Moses. And leads those people right up to the Jordan River and does what Moses has done, parts the river, parts the water, and they all walk across on dry land. Yeah. And then victory after victory after victory after victory. Because one thing you can know about Joshua is he didn't lose his faith and he didn't go back on the revelation that God had given him. Revelation and faith. 
that's victory. Now, you can talk to me about, you know, uh, victory this, victory that, and then these are the eight steps to victory. I don't know the eight steps to victory, but I know revelation of God, divine revelation and faith is going to lead you to a place of victory in your life if you'll live in it. If you'll live in it. If you'll accept it, if you'll listen to it, if you'll receive it, and you'll walk in it, it'll lead you to a place of victory in your life. It will. It does. It does. Miraculously does. But we have to walk in that. So a couple things tonight I want to encourage you toward, and I'd like you to respond to this. First thing is, uh, if you're wandering in the wilderness waiting for death, it's time to stop. It's time to stop the death march. It's time to stop it. It's time to leave that behind, that slave mentality, and leave it behind. You know, if you if you got that victim mentality, you got that that I can't find anything good in anything mentality. You got always complaining, always grumbling, always the bad side. Your glass is always half empty. It's always going to snow. It's always going to rain. It's never going to work out. We're never going to have enough money. We're never going to be able to do what we want to do. We're never going to live the life we want to live. Life is always going to be terrible. Everything sucks. Whatever. If that's you, you need to get out of that slave mentality and you need to stop the death march across the wilderness. We were not created. We were not put on this earth to wait to die in a desolate place. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for those that are living in that place right now. And I ask God that you would lift them up. I pray you'd lift them up out of that wilderness. You would lift them up out of that dry and desolate place. I pray, Father, that you would begin a change in their hearts and a change in their minds. God, I just pray an end to that slave mentality. Yeah, I just pray a death to that slave mentality that, that people carry and that people bring with them. And I say no more in the name of Jesus. We just rebuke it in Jesus' name. We curse it in Jesus' name to die off in people's hearts and people's spirits and in people's lives. I pray for a heart in each one to reject that right where it is in their heart or their mind right now in Jesus' name, to reject it and to cast it away from them in the name of Jesus that they would take authority, that they would take an authority in their own lives to cast that thing away from themselves and to say no more, to actively resist against it, to, actually, to, to actively fight it, to resist it in Jesus' name. For God, I thank you that you call us into a better place than that, a place of divine revelation, a place of faith, a place where we can walk by faith and not by sight, that it's your revelation that matters, it's what you say that matters, it's your truth that really matters, it's your word in our life that really matters, and the other stuff, not so much, not so much, and so God, I'd ask that you would raise up a different generation, 
a generation that hates the death march, a generation that hates the slave mentality, a generation that hates the one that, that, that one that was us, that was walking in defeat, so that we can leave it behind. Thank you that you're all about making all things new. I thank you you're all about a new creation. I thank you that you're all about a new life in us. I thank you you're all about, God, renewing and bringing forth a right mind in us. And so, God, I just ask that you would align us more closely with you. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for life, God. Praise teaches to live, really live. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 